There's a lot of Greek and Hebrew for love in the Bible, but I want to show you today that actually love is for losers. That's my title. I hope that's okay. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, I don't know, Pastor. We got to give Pastor some more study time. This is getting worse. Love is for losers. Jesus loved us so much that he gave. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. For God so loved the world, world being cosmos, being unsaved people. He loved the sinner so much that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him, this book written, that they would not perish John exhorting them to believe on Jesus Christ and belief in these days were action. Belief in this in this day meant believers were those that obeyed Acts 2.38. That's what he meant by believers. If anyone believes or acts upon their faith, they will be saved. They shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Flip over to John 15. John 15. Hopefully you get there before I stop turning pages. That means you're doing good. John 15 and verse 13. Are you there? Say amen if you're there. If not, say wait on me. Got a few of you. All right. John 3.16 is the most popular verse of Scripture in the Bible. It's quoted. It's put underneath the eyes of football players. It's believed to... Uh, by many people, but I want to show you that love is not just what you give. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. So today, love is for losers. Love is not just defined by what you're willing to give. Love is even greater defined, or maybe even shown greater by what you're willing to lose for it. Jesus died for us that we might have life. He lost his life so we could have life. What are you willing to lose for the Lord? We better make sure it's the things that matter that we keep and we lose the things that don't matter. Amen? We live in a culture where losing is the thing that people don't want to do and winning is everything. Think about it. Winning is everything. We celebrate quotes about winning. We celebrate people that win. We follow people that win. We pay money, $99, to go to a seminar for people that know how to make us win. Winning is celebrated. The affections of a boss are sought after for the next promotion. The things that God does in our lives, we look for the winning moments, but we don't want to talk about the losing moments. Because if we show the losing moments, we might show a place of weakness in our life. But when we do start talking about the power of God and the awesomeness of God, we want to keep Him high and lifted up. And I grew up in a church, and you grew up maybe in a religion where God is always a God of great glory. We go from glory to glory. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We, we have all this language about how amazing God is. And, and we come to church to get a shot in the arm and, a pump, uh, and get pumped up by the pastor with some faith so we can go back out and live it during the week. But really, but really, 
we are more defined by how much we love God when we lose things than when we gain them. When you lose a relationship that you thought would stay together, those are when the, the shaking moments, the moments that really change your life and change your thinking about God, the moments when you don't have what you thought would stay there for the rest of your life, those are the moments when you decide and you make a choice. Am I going to keep loving God when it's loss? Or am I going to live for God no matter what goes and what comes? See, unfortunately, in our world today, we're losing the good things and we're keeping the things that don't have value. Unfortunately, we have children who can recognize over 200 logos and company um, acronyms or logos because they're constantly on their devices. And we have a little thing in our house that says, look at faces, not devices. Because we need to be reminded on a regular basis that life is not happening on the web. Life is happening in your home and life is happening among each other. And the beauty of the things of God is that whenever we focus on the principles of God, no matter how we feel about it, if we will just live the principle, if we feel good about it, bad about it, feel up one day, down one day, if we're winning and we have all this winning language to talk about God, or the next day all we can talk about is how this isn't working for me. If we live the principle, we will be successful. Because you walk through all those emotions of the human heart while you're walking a narrow road of principle. And you get to the destination you were designed to be at. Because God wants us victorious. Amen? God wants us to have power and might and see his dominion in our life. And where we put our foot, we are to take dominion according to the gift of the power of the Holy Ghost that is in us, that gives us power over spirits and darkness. But we have to understand that that dominion does not mean we don't have a battle. That dominion does not mean we don't have a fight. And we're living in, the sociologists are saying that we're living in the most narcissistic society that has ever lived has ever existed. And you have to understand, if I can help in some way today to get us to get back to the roots of why we are here this morning, why we came here, why we're all gathered here, it's so that we can learn how to love each other. And in loving each other, it means sometimes we have to lay down our own agendas. Because I can't love you the way I want to love you if I constantly am holding my flag of my rights and waving how, hey, you didn't hear me and you don't, you don't appreciate me and you don't love me like I want to be loved. And maybe you don't even have the receptors to be loved the way you should be loved because of the abuses of the past. But thank God there's blood to cover it all. Thank God there's a winning in the loss. Thank God there's a God Almighty who said, look at what I'm willing to lose for you. And we have to understand that this world is not moved by all of our language of winning all the time. We can talk the greatest talk. I can preach the most polished sermon. We can have the most polished music. And I love what we do. And I'm not knocking any of that. And I'm not saying it's bad or worse. You know how some people say, well, the worship's really good at that church. <laughs> that means the preaching's really bad. <laughs> or, man, the preaching is insane at that church. That means the worship's not so good. <laughs> But what I'd like to say is it's not about the keyboard or the drums or, the, or even the structure of this service this morning. What draws a heart to God is when they see what you're willing to lose for them. I've watched people that I have spent hours on in Bible study telling them the goodness and the greatness and the wonderful things of God. But when we get to the moment where we talk about how he would have died for you had you been the only one 
tears break forth and Niagara Falls becomes real to them and they start just weeping under the presence of God because they realize that somebody was willing to lose it all for me. And when we get that attitude in the church, the world recognizes that attitude. They know that if I have a willingness to lay down my feelings for his, or I'm willing to lay down my, my rights so that she can have something better, or I'm willing to take a time out of my busy schedule and go on a progressive dinner, or come to the clubhouse when I'm single, <laughs> Valentine's Day celebration, I'm going single. Woohoo! That's awesome. But I'm going because there's the, the body of Christ is meeting there. And the only way that you can tell what someone's willing to do for you or how much they're willing to love you is sometimes not in what they give. Have you ever had someone just give you too much? Just lav on you and just lavish you and here, have this. And oh, you're sick. Have bone broth soup and here's this and here's that and get better and here's Hall's methylase and whatever else. And pretty soon you're like, whoa, I'm a big boy. I can handle a little sickness. You know, I can take it. But when they're willing to lay down something for you, that's powerful. What has God laid down for us? He's laid down a lot of things. He divested himself of the heaven that he was in and he came to us. We can't possibly understand that with our human minds. That a God of glory who is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, he's omnipresent everywhere, all-present, gave himself, put the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus Christ bodily. The fact that he can do that and he came to earth, not as a man, you know, shows up shaved and, you know, looking good, but a, a, a baby in a manger. It says, I can, I can start this vulnerable and I can make it possible for you to understand that I can lose all of my glory to come to be among those that I created. I can lose it all because love is often defined by what we lose. Our children are disconnecting with nature. By the time they are seven years old, most youngsters have, exposed, have been exposed to more than 20,000 advertisements. They can identify 200 corporate logos, but they cannot identify the trees growing in their front yard. We're losing the things that matter. And we've got to learn that the church is the one voice left. It's not a popular voice. It's not a voice that everybody wants to hear because they all want to hear what, they, what encourages their lifestyle. But I want you to know that the church is the one place where we have to be the voice, no matter whether it's popular or not, no matter, no matter whether people are buying in or not. The church has to speak about the things that still matter. Amen? There's a list of things that are going to be in the church and in the world, actually, in the last days. It's in 2 Timothy 3 and 1. If you want to turn there, I want to show you this. It's, it's powerful. There's a lot of things to it. But in 2 Timothy 3 and 1, you see Paul is talking to Timothy and he's saying, just watch out for these things. He's like 2 Timothy 3 and 1. It says, no. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Everyone say lovers of selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. <laughs> disobedient to parents. <laughs> Do you, 
do you not realize we're, we're here right now? He says, in the last days, there's going to be dangerous times. There's going to be a lack of consistency in people. A lack of loyalty. And he said, they're going to be boasters and they're going to be proud. And you know what? We, everybody's dabbing all day. You know, it's like, don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place to dab. But everybody's all about themselves. Everyone is self-loving. They're, they're talking about themselves, posting about themselves. Amen, somebody. And then it goes on, disobedient to parents. We, we almost accept this as normal. It's like we should read, it's like we should be surprised at this, but we're not. We're actually surprised when children obey their parents. I mean, it's almost like a shocker nowadays, but this is all happening and we're right here. We're here, we're now. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away, or one translation says, avoid these people. Was that real, Pastor? Would you really preach avoid somebody? That's what Paul says to Timothy. He said avoid people that do these things. In other words, what he's saying was you are who you hang out with. And he's saying be careful who you hang out with because you pick up what they are. If you're not leading them toward Christ, they're leading you away from him. Oh, I know this is a strong word today. Everybody's like, Pastor, can we go back to loving and just loving everybody and getting along? And, and I'm seeing, you know, a dangerous trend in the church today, and I don't know how to address it because um, it's looking pretty bleak out there, people. It's looking pretty bleak. And I'm like, this doesn't look good. <laughs> And yet, while I feel that for the world, I have the greatest confidence in the power of God and in His church I've ever had in my life. Because we are the ones that know truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if anyone's looking for freedom, we just have to point them at Jesus. Amen? And so whenever we come to, the, to, the, to this passage of scripture I'm scratching my head going how do we even address this but he's saying Timothy don't be surprised in the last days all of this is going to be there it's like have you ever watched the show the deadliest catch and they're like out in the Bering Sea or someplace and they're fishing and they're all trying to catch this deadly catch it's like the they're in these these horrible storms and they're fishing and, and they they give the story of how they're all trying to catch a crab and die and it's the deadliest catch and I'm not trying to exegete the deadliest catch for you today but I am trying to tell you that they're doing all of this stuff and their focus is keeping everybody alive and keeping the boat intact and we used to have a lot of that kind of teaching and, and we went away from that because we realized that we were so focused on heaven, we weren't servicing the needs of the earth. 
We had people with no drinking water, and we had people with no food, and we had places in Africa and, and Sri Lanka and Thailand where, where I'm working right now for those things. And, and it all was really cool, and it's all really great. You're not going to get attackers over digging a well, but you will get an attacker over preaching the gospel. You're not going to get haters over going and giving food to people that need it, but you will get haters over saying Jesus has a narrow road, and few there be that find it. So today we're talking about the things we need to lose to hold on to the most important things that we've gained. It says that they're going to be lovers of self. One commentary said that lovers of self is like the sewage pipe which all the other garbage runs through. It's like disobedient to parents is because we love ourselves, and we don't care how we affect others or, or how we don't care if we listen to our parents and, and lovers of money. Why do you love money? It's because you love yourself. It's all about loving self and, and people are like, well, it even sneaks into the church and this stuff is creeping on the church. We have to know this. We have to have discernment and understand in the last days this stuff tries to come in because there's teaching like love your neighbor as yourself and, and you don't love yourself enough so we need to focus on loving yourself so that you can love your neighbor better. That all really makes sense except for don't tell me you don't love yourself when we in our generation create entire pages about ourselves online. An entire page with your picture and, and your, your thought and your voice is being heard and, and you must be seen and, and we filter all the best things and put all the best light on it and, and we want to share it with the world because it's all about self. It's all about me. And, and, and people are like, well, I, I, I'm not that selfish. Well, then why do every time we get together, you talk about you? Why is it that we're always talking about you? And yet... We see people that are saying, well, if we learn to love ourselves better, we can love our neighbor better. But really, Jesus said, if you die to self, you can love your neighbor better. If you come after me, let him deny himself. Take up your cross. Following Jesus is awesome. It's amazing. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. But I want you to know there's a cross in it. And that cross you carry can be heavy at times. That's why you need a prayer life. You're not going to make it without a prayer life. And so when we see following Jesus Christ, we get everything that he is, but we also get a cross because we know that the cross is not the end. Amen, somebody. There is maybe three days in the tomb, but we're coming out of that. And you can't get to your resurrection in life. You can't get to your promise and your power of life until you're willing to go to a cross and lay down self. Oh, it's quiet in here. Jesus, they don't like this message. Disobedient to parents, lovers of money. It's getting to where I, I almost expect it to be normal. And I hate the fact that I do expect that to be normal. Jesus said in one place in scripture that he wanted us to think differently about how we approach each other. He wants us to love each other and be in communication with one another in a way that he was one with God Almighty. In the sense that God was robed in flesh, he says, just as we are one, purpose and initiative and, and, and existence 
God put himself in a body and came to earth just with that oneness, that same oneness. He wants you and I, Jesse, to be one and you and I to be one. He wants us to strive for unity over everything else. Nothing here in this room is worth perfecting if we don't perfect unity among each other. And that's what we're doing here today. We're not here just because we're checking off a box and saying, I went to church this Sunday. We're not here just to feel good. We're here to make sure that you're doing okay and are you all right and how's your family and how's your loved ones and is there something I can pray for and how can I get in connection with you and how can we be closer brothers and sisters in Christ and, and yes, you may be the foot and think that you're not really doing much and think that you're the one with, that smells and <laughs> just kidding, but you're the one that doesn't have as much to do but guess what the truth of the matter is you're needed for us to stand. It is the truth that we are the body of Christ I don't want everybody looking at me. I want everybody looking at him. And I'm willing to lose myself for the greater good of the body of Christ. And some people are like, well, I don't know that I have that kind of faith yet. I don't know if I believe that everyone's really out for good. I think some people are out to get me. <laughs> well, you're not responsible for people that don't understand, but you are responsible when you know the truth to love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the hardest things you can do. You go back 40 years and people wouldn't even believe some of the things we, we do. You mean you post every day to a page about yourself? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do that nowadays. That's normal. It's normal. But that's the pipe in which everything else is running. Post about how you got a nice car and post about how you got a nice outfit and look at me and look at this and, and these are my kids and aren't they all dressed nice and look at us getting on a plane and look at us, look at us going on vacation. What if we laid down, what if we realized that love is about losing? They would say you're joking. <laughs> you think that everybody actually believes that their voice needs to be heard all the time? That's what they would say 40 years ago. And, and you build shrines to yourself on this thing called Facebook and all these others. I'm not preaching against Facebook. I have one. But Paul said it's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazy out there. They're going to call things that are good evil. They're going to call evil things good. And every once in a while we need a shake up. Amen? Every once in a while we need God to move in the church. And we need to realign our priorities and put him back at the top and say, if love for you means I have to lose some things, I'm willing to lay them down because he'll never ask you to lose something that doesn't, is not directly connected to his plan for you. If you've lost it, you don't need it to have the best life you're going to have on this earth. passion for people. We've got to have a passion for people. We've got to have a movement of God in this church. We've got to have people so desperate to see their brother and sister saved that they're willing to do anything to reach out to them. They'll come to a midweek. They'll show up at a life group. They'll come clean a church. They'll do whatever they got to do in order for somebody to experience God because loving means losing my schedule. Loving means being inconvenienced. Loving means being discomforted. 
sometimes and not even comfortable sometimes it's even where it's in your family and you have like an argument on the way to church and you just close off that argument just so that you can be in the presence of God and say God you are you mean more to me than winning an argument God you mean more to me than my kids understanding me are you are you hearing what I'm saying today I hope I'm getting through because I'm trying to tell you that I don't come to this pulpit and just preach a simple message uh, where we can just go home and do whatever after after this thing. I come here and I ask myself one question every time I preach. Do I love the people that I'm preaching to? Do I love you enough to tell you the truth? Do I love you enough to tell you when it's hard for me? Do I love you enough to tell you when the room's not full? The things that are true. Because I used to preach and I used to build a church to fill a room. But now I'm trying to fill a kingdom with the lost. And I have Bible studies and I send texts out to people you don't even know. And I'm reaching for their souls and they're in same-sex relationships. You can get anybody to preach anything you want. You can put them in heaven, you can put them in hell, you can put them anywhere you want. There's going to be in the last days, Paul tells Timothy, there's different... There's different people that are going to have itching ears. They're going to, get their, they're going to find themselves a preacher that will tell them what they want to hear. I can find you a PhD that tells you it's okay to abort a baby. I can find you a PhD that'll tell you it's all right to leave that marriage. I can find you a PhD that can tell you it's all right to have same-sex marriage. But I have to tell you the truth because I have to be a man of God and I have to stand on the word. And if we don't believe it, then why are we preaching this book? If it doesn't work, then why are we even here today? March around the wall seven days, blow a trumpet? That makes sense. Jericho, here we come. <laughs> With sandals and trumpets. It works. It works. I see preaching where everyone's going to dig wells and everyone's going to help inner city and they're not preaching about holiness anymore. They're not preaching about separation from the world. The same generation that would get on a plane and say, I'll go die for someone in Uganda to reach them with the gospel. I appreciate that. I love that. I love that passion. But the same people that will do that are not keeping their minds pure and their hearts pure and their lives pure. We're losing purity in the church when we were supposed to keep it and lose everything else that keeps us from being pure. I know it's quiet in here today. I hope you love me when we're done. You can't vote me out because, well, it's in the bylaws. I suppose you can. Are we still concerned with keeping our minds and hearts pure? Are we still concerned with being morally pure before God? Or are we losing all the wrong things and is sin creeping into the church because we are letting it into our lives? What if we tell God we loved him by being willing to lose the comfort of fitting into our world? We talked about it last week, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God does not release transforming power in his church if the church is only interested in conforming fitting into the culture. 
I tell you that I'm not against culture. I'm not preaching against culture. I come for one thing and one thing only, to tell you that your truest expression of love to God is what you're willing to lose for Him, not just what you give to Him. Oh, Pastor, I've got ties this week. Pastor, I've got extra offering. Pastor, I've got, I, I've got willingness to teach a Bible study. That is awesome. That is great. But when it comes down to it, can you walk out of a divorce and say, though they leave me, yet will I serve him? Can you walk through the hardest moment of your life, the valley of the shadow of death, when your body is sick and you don't know how to get healed and the doctors can't tell you? And can you still say, he deserves all my praise. He deserves every bit of me. Whether it's sick or whether it's healthy, he deserves all of me. Whether it's good or it's not good, whether it's bad or not, uh, he deserves every bit of me. Whether I came here sad or happy today, he deserves every bit of me. I want to give him all of my life. What if we're willing to lose this whole world but gain our soul? What if we're willing to lose everything for love? What if we loved him enough to lose our pride? Strap in. It's going to be dangerous for a minute to your spirituality. What if we loved him enough to lose our arrogance? What if we loved him enough to not need all the answers, but just follow him? Because love will cost you everything. Because love is for losers. Lovers of pleasure, Second Timothy 4.3, I hit it already. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they shall heap to themselves teachers according to their own lust. One translation says, For the times will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but have itching ears, will heap to themselves teachers. I think that we're in those days. How about you? One translation says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction. Everyone say accurate instruction. Take instruction, but not accurate. The challenge is with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate to themselves many teachers, one after another, choosing one after another chosen is what that means, to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold. Matthew 6.25 says some really harsh words that I, I don't know that I can even wrap my head around this. And Jesus said unto his disciples, if anyone wishes, Matthew 6.24 is where I'm at. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We know that verse. Verse 25, for whosoever wishes to save his life shall what? Lose it. You know it. And whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. The funniest thing is the places I thought I lost the most, I actually found I gained the most in him. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or forfeits his soul? In other words, holding on to your soul is more important than anything this world calls success. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8.36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Lose his own soul. I was just kind of hanging out in John 13 and 14 and the disciples were struggling with the fact that they're going to 
lose Jesus. They love him so much. I know you, right? Like my little illustration here. Hopefully this thing stays together because I built it. If you know anything about my building capabilities, they're not amazing. And in John, he's talking about, I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave you. And they're like, Jesus, don't say that. You're not leaving us. You're not going to leave us. We're not losing you. It's not going to happen. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I have to go away because then the Holy Spirit can come me in different form. And when I come, then you will not just have Jesus here. You will all be like me and you will do greater things than I have done. Wouldn't it be amazing if it wasn't Brother Calhoun preaching today, but Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is speaking today. Tell me you'd be excited about that. Wouldn't that be awesome? And Jesus was saying, there's something even greater. There's something even greater than that. Is if Jesse, full of the Holy Ghost, speaks to us. If Rob, full of the Holy Ghost, gets up and says, let me tell you about what God's done for me. Do you see why it's important for you to be here? Because you diss Jesus Christ in every one of us when you don't recognize that he's working in Jesse's life or he's working in your life or he's working in Nate's life. You don't recognize the potential and power of God to work greater things than he did on the earth through each one of us. And that's why it's crazy that we go to church as much as we do. But it's also amazing because the Bible says that the world will know he is Jesus Christ. The world will know he's God in flesh when we are one. In other words, unity among each other is what communicates to the world that Jesus is the Messiah, that he saves. I'll get to this in a minute. Just let me wave it in the air for a few seconds. And I'm like... That doesn't make any sense. As a pastor, I'm thinking, okay, let's have some special services. Let's have revival. Let's, let's get everything up here dialed in. Let's do what we have to do. Let's, let's do a big invite campaign. And all that's good. But just as marching around the walls of Jericho doesn't make sense and blowing a trumpet and the walls fall, so does it, it also doesn't make sense in my brain that God said that the world will recognize Jesus can save them by our unity. By us coming together. They will walk in, they go, no way! These people love each other. Did you, did you hear that? One of the, I went to this life group and this one guy lost his job and they all gathered an offering to cover his rent. Have you ever seen people that love each other like that? Truly God is in them and truly God is with them and I'm moved by that. They, I know it doesn't seem like it'd work. You think it would be, let's get Aaron Rodgers full of the Holy Ghost right here, you know? If we got Beyonce saved on stage, you know, praise God, Beyonce, we'd fill the house. Hello, somebody. Everybody be come out to see Beyonce speak in tongues. That's how we think. But either we believe this book or we don't. I better put my Lego thing down before. I'll get to that. I'm almost done. Unfortunately, in our world, we think that our thoughts are higher than this book. And when we think differently from this, we think that something's wrong with this. 
instead of going, that doesn't seem logical to me. How can us meeting in houses in the middle of the week or loving each other today or coming here and not having the most amazing service but caring about one another so deeply that I know that I want to pray for his dad today. I know that. I'm in unity with him enough to know that. When the world sees that, that is where revival comes. You don't know, but when you're studying oneness of God, oneness is not just a doctrine, it's a lifestyle. And that lifestyle, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. That lifestyle affects revival. When you study that God is one, you are studying how to have potential revival. Because when we become one as Jesus was one, he said, then the world will know that I'm Messiah. Do we believe this book? I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think that works. I think we need to get banners out, put out feather banners, put out signs, send out flyers, fly over and drop off leaflets all over Brookfield. That's me. But you know what? This has got to go higher than me. Right? Amen? This has got to be higher than my thinking. And neither it works or it doesn't, Jesse. Why don't we just trust this to work? Why don't we get in concert with each other? Because unity is where the Holy Ghost was poured out in the first place, right? When they were all in one place in one accord, heaven opened up. Amen. And then I grew up. So we have to lift the word above our thoughts. If, if it's wrong, it's not the book that's wrong. Amen. It's our thinking that's wrong. And we have to trust this even when it doesn't make sense. The principles make sense. When I was growing up, I got into ministry quite a few years ago, like I want to say 17, no, almost 20. 17 years ago, I'll go, I'll go with that because that's probably conservative. Everybody had their ministry, okay? Do you like my little church? I know it looks like a, I don't know, it, it looks like a little kitchen, but this is all I had to work with. A gas station. This is my daughter's Legos. <laughs> I commandeered her Lego set. Because I went to look at Legos, and they're like $69 for a box of them. I'm like, that is not of God. <laughs> Lego is of, the, uh, is of the enemy. So I was like, when I, I'll tell you a story, and I'm not dissing anybody or knocking anybody down. There was a, there was a minister that I admired. He was amazing. He could pray people through the Holy Ghost like you wouldn't believe, and he decided to start a church between the North and South Pole. <laughs> and every time I got around him, he was talking about, oh, guess what? They came, and guess what happened to them? They got full of the Holy Ghost. What? And it was just this big celebration. Everybody's like, oh, his ministry, his ministry, his ministry, his ministry. He was just one peace to the house of God, okay? We are all part of the body of Christ. And everything was about his ministry and his ministry. He tried, tried to start a church and a year and a half in, he failed. Almost lost his marriage. Kids were living in another preacher's home. It was crazy what was going on. And every time they said his ministry, oh, he had 15 get the Holy Ghost. Oh, his ministry. I cringed on the inside. The Holy Ghost literally cringed inside of me. Because are we doing our ministry? Are we, or are we a part of the extension of Jesus' ministry? And he's building a church. And do we really believe that we are more valuable 
connected in places that might not be seen to the world? Or do we believe we have to be seen? Oh, did you know what God did for me? It's amazing. God's done all this great stuff, and I get that. And I actually started out in ministry thinking, okay, I've got to build my ministry because that's all I saw. That's what I saw promoted to me. But then as I got into ministry, started building the church, found out the church was building me, hello, somebody, I realized that I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord because this place that he's building, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And so when I get involved with you and us and we come in here together and we're being the body of Christ and we're being the church, not walls and mortar, but we are the church, the ecclesia, amen. We are the structure of God, the, the infilling, the temple, the place where God dwells. When we are being that together, Guess what we're being? We're connected to the prophets of old. We're connected to the people that live for God. Haggai and Zechariah and Habakkuk and people you can't say without the Holy Ghost and all of these different prophets and we're connected to the Old Testament and New Testament and guess what? We have to care about each other because there's issues in life and there's things that come up and we gotta pray things down and lift things up and we have to be willing to lose the things that don't matter and hold on with a death grip to the things that do matter. And we do it all together. We do it better together. We do it better together. And there's so many people that are like, God is love. Just have a church full of people that love each other. Well, that is needed. That is needed. We have to work at not criticizing. We have to work at not backbiting or talking. We don't have that problem here. At least I don't think so because I'm not that kind of person. And usually the church is much like their pastor, but... Also, we have to realize that it's not just about love. God judges sin. He will judge sin. And we have to preach about it, even when it's uncomfortable. If we leave here today and say, well, that was a really harsh one, Pastor, but thanks for getting us through it. <laughs> we made it. We got out of this one. Maybe, not, maybe we won't put that one online because the world just won't accept it. I don't care about that. I care about you and me walking out of here in concert, in unity, loving each other and being the body of Christ in the house that God can use to reach a world. That when our love and our unity communicates to them, Jesus is your Savior. And it also communicates, according to Philippians, that destruction is coming. They understand that God's going to judge sin because of our love for one another. We don't have to worry about the winds and the waves. We have a God who has a dialogue with wind. Do you understand that? We have a God who has communications and has a conversation with gravity. Does that not blow your mind? It's like, okay, come next week because I'm done. And yet God's not saying worry about the wind and the waves. I speak to the waves, he says. You worry about the boat. Keep yourself in, in the right direction. Keep yourself going the right way. Worry about the most important things. The world is going to get like this, Timothy. There's going to be backbiters and haters and, and lovers of self. That's going to happen. You cannot change that, but you can change the direction that you're going in. And your love for one another while they're backbiting and backstabbing and they're doing all the disloyal things that they do, your loyalty and love for each other will say there's something different here. And people are like, oh, God doesn't judge. He's, he's a loving God. Have you read this book? <laughs> I mean, 
get to chapter two. <laughs> he kills everybody. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And it's like, oh, that's Old Testament pastor. He was, it was under the law. God had to answer with, with fire, opened up the ground and slap it closed on people. Yeah, because he mellows out in Revelation. <laughs> Hello. No, he judges sin. And the Bible says that we're supposed to start judgment at the house of God. And when the world sees that we're willing to care for each other enough to love each other through our issues and bring each other to the altar and pray over the sins that we're struggling with and get them out of our life and put them under the blood, they will go, if they will do that for each other, they will do that for me. And we will have revival off of our unity. That's it. That's, that's, that's the message. That's what this says. Either we believe it or we don't. We don't need Aaron Rodgers talking in tongues like a Chinaman. We need to love each other. We need to make coming to the house of God not just a Sunday trip, but a day when we come together and we go, Betty, what are you struggling with today? What can I pray for this week? How can I know you better? How can I help you better? How can I serve you better? And you'll find out when you lose your life to that, you've actually found it. God, God knows how to give us the best life. Amen? Amen? Love is for losers. You can stand with me. Because I've been standing this whole time. So, I watched as this minister rebuild his life. And now, many, many, many years later, his children are in ministry. His marriage was spared. And he got back almost all that he had lost. And when we start to lose things, I, I wonder if we recognize that losing something can define who we are. Jesus says, you love me? Yeah, that's great. But love is for losers. Are you going to carry the gospel to the whole world? How are you going to do that? I don't know how it's going to work. The disciples said, I don't know how that's going to work out. That doesn't make any sense. Jesus, you're the reason. All this has happened. You're doing miracles. How in the world are you going to leave us and then we're going to become like you and carry the gospel to the I don't know how it's going to work, but it did. It doesn't make any sense, but it did. It worked. They carried the gospel to the ends of the earth. So their loss was actually gain because he said, I will be with you and I will be in you. We have these young guys up here preaching and we're not perfect, are we guys? But when they preach, they're full of the Holy Ghost. I get text messages on Friday night praying over this message because if they don't love souls, they won't be preaching right here because that's the requirement. Do you love the people you're speaking to? Do you love the body of Christ? Are we willing to lose our agenda? I'm finishing. Our plans, our comfort, our convenience. Take up our cross and follow him. He will blow your mind if you do. He says, I don't know how you think about this, but just abide in me. Just abide in me. Just love each other and abide in me and I will make it all happen. And I'm thankful for it. Would you bow your head with me?
Jesus, I don't want to just be a piece out there doing my thing. I don't want to be somebody that's just trying to do their own ministry or their own touch to the world. I know that you, you work through us, God, but what if we could come together? What if we could be a better part of the whole? What if we laid down ourselves so that the world could see the love among us? Would you let us understand the things we need to lose and yet keep the things we need to gain? Would you help us, Jesus, to come after you and take up a cross? Would you help us to remind ourselves that we don't want to lose anything that you've given us? Help us to lay down anything that's driving us away from you because love is greater when we define it by what we're willing to lay down. This altar's open today. What do you have to give? But more importantly, what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Because love will be defined by that. Maybe you want to go to somebody right now and you want to take their hand and you want to bring them down here and pray for them. And you want to say, look, I'm going to show you that I care for you and that I love you. Maybe you want to sneak over there with Rob and pray for that little baby. Maybe you want to pray with Jesse, or maybe you want to get together, Lisi and and you want to, and Betty and you guys want to pray. And maybe, maybe families and maybe loved ones can come together and pray right now. Let's do it as we sing together, but let's do it as a body that love each other and love God. In Jesus' name, it's an honor to speak to you today.